why, but somehow when I bring the message, it seems like I need to have a, at least a, a reverence uh, in not only in dress, but in demeanor, and of course in spirit to the Word of God. And I pray that uh, each one of us can can also come and, and find that same reverence in God's Word and uh, acknowledging Him for who He is and why the Word is so important to us. <clears throat> this last week I shared a story with, uh, with a young man that was, uh, that was asking some questions about Christianity and the, and the various types of... He didn't really ask this question, but basically he was getting to the point of why is it that some churches do church this way and some churches do church that way. And, and uh, you know, and, and, and I, I mentioned that there is a, a lot of... There are, there are a lot of uh, organizations, I guess you would say, or churches and uh, ministries that gather, and they gather for the experience. They gather for the emotional high. The you know, and, and the Holy Spirit gives you that. I mean, He gives you the the soundness of who He is, and He gives you the ability to to recognize who, excuse me, who God is, and and He gives you the the the, the desire to come to know Him a little bit more. Excuse me. And um. And, and it's good. I mean, you should feel good about coming to church. It should lift you up. It should encourage you. It should help you uh, to face another day, to face another week, to get back to work and, and to face this world. Because, you know, right now, uh, the church is under attack. I mean, it's under attack by all the forces around us, uh, not just the worldly forces, not just the government, not just people that you may know, people that are anti-church, um, which reminds me of a of a quote I just read this last week on the in the gospel according to Facebook, and uh, said something to the effect of, you know, even disbelief in God is a sin that Satan wouldn't do. Now think about that for a while, and and so the the church is under attack, and so we come together and we want to we want to feel good, we want to understand that God still has us in the palm of His hand, and so when we when we do that, when we understand that God is is moving us and, and moving us in that direction. So so the church is is a place where we come and get encouraged, but there are a lot of places that and, and people that come for the experience and the experience only. And so one of the messages uh, that I've preached before, and I just want you to turn there very quickly with me, it's in Luke chapter 24. And I'm just going to touch on this only because of what the church is supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing and, and why the church is um, so important to God, so important that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for it. And uh, it, it, the church is so important, and, and the, the purity of the church is highly important to God, and, and he desires for us to, to come together in, in such a manner of understanding who he is. But, but the, uh, the experience is the one thing that Scripture really doesn't talk about much. And, but what, they, what, the, what the Scripture talks about more is the Word. And here's a, a really good example and you'll, if you can read with me from uh, Luke 24, verses 13 and on, and I'm just going to kind of briefly go over this. This is a whole sermon that I had uh, brought together. But this is, uh, verse 13 says, the ver- that very day, uh, and you have to remember when, when, um, when Luke is talking about that very day, it's, it's the, the crucifixion that just happened. Uh, they just buried Jesus Christ on Friday night. And uh, Saturday was the Sabbath. They all had to rest. 
and there was nothing that they can do. And on Sunday, the first day of the week, they find out that Jesus Christ had resurrected. And so travel was now back in store. They can go and travel because you cannot travel on the Sabbath day. So on that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with him. Now, imagine this. You have just lost your best friend, the guy that you have been looking up to, the person that has led you and taught you and fed you, and you've seen him do all these miracles. You've seen him, how he's healed and loved and nurtured everyone, not just the religious leaders. The religious leaders were the ones that were in charge, and, and Jesus would <laughs> would yell at them and, and call them a brood of vipers, and, and you'd stand there and say, yes, I've been wanting to say that all my life. Oh, wait a minute, I better not say that out loud. But Jesus, you have the authority and the power, and you have the ability to preach and to teach in, in a manner that no one has ever heard before. As a matter of fact, Nicodemus, one of the high priests, came up to Jesus Christ at night and he says, we know that you're a man that comes from God because no one can do the things that you do. And so here's this man, this uh, Messiah, the Christ, and, and Israel had been waiting for the Christ, the Messiah. They've been waiting for the redemption of Israel. They have been waiting for someone to come in and rule the world the way it was intended to be. Now, the Jewish people all had in mind of this Messiah riding in on a white horse. And Messiah was supposed to establish this kingdom and eradicate all of the kingdoms, all of the governments, and they were to be in charge. Now, again, remember that the Jewish people, basically the whole world at that time, was was conquered through Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great came in and put Greece, uh, Greek in every nation, every every place, and statues and uh, architecture, and everything was all Greek. And so the Romans that were part of that, were overseeing everything that Alexander the Great had conquered, and they were even over Jerusalem and the Jews. So they had no kingdom of their own, the Jewish people. They were still under the rule of the Roman Empire. And so you have all this oppression upon upon the, the Jewish people, and so they're waiting for Messiah. They're waiting for him to come, and lo and behold, Jesus Christ shows up, and people are believing that this must be the Messiah. Yet, Where's his white horse? What about his pedigree? Where did he come from? Okay, he comes from the line of David, but but he just he, he wasn't schooled. He didn't go to our schools. We didn't teach him anything. He's not even a part of our organization. Or I was going to say gangs, because basically that's what it was. They had Sadducees, they had Pharisees, they had scribes, they had rulers. They had all these various types of people fighting for position and power. And along comes Jesus Christ, and he was dubbed the Messiah by his followers. This has got to be the Christ. Remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title, the anointed one. Christ is the, is the word in Greek, Messiah. Mashiach is the word in Hebrew. And so they were looking for the Messiah, the Christ. And here he shows up. And these two men are walking home after this bloody ordeal that they've seen their Lord and Savior go through. And he is just, they are just downtrodden. They're, they're depressed. They're angry. They're mad. They're sad. They, they just didn't know what to do. And I'm sure they were walking with their heads down because on the road, as they were walking and talking with each other about these things that had happened while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They were so distraught, they were so downcast, they were looking down, the sun was coming down already, uh, because this place that they were going to, Emmaus is seven miles west of Jerusalem, so you know, there's all kinds of factors, but even then, 
I'm sure that these men, they needed a touch from God. They needed some comfort. They needed to know that everything was going to be okay. Jesus Christ should have given them that experience right there and there. Jesus should have said, look, it's me. I'm back. I told you I would do this. Three days later, I'm alive. And, and they would have all rejoiced and had a great time. Yet that didn't happen. Uh, Luke tells us in verse 17, and he said to them, Jesus, the, the, their eyes were kept closed. And in verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? Not that he didn't know. He just wanted to get a response from these men. This is Jesus, remember. We know this in hindsight. They don't know anything except for what just took place. What they did, and they said, and they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth. You know, it's interesting. They didn't call him the Christ. It's interesting they didn't call him the Messiah. That it's interesting they didn't call him the Son of God. Now he just became, you know, he was just a guy. He was just a man from Nazareth. You know, we were really just hoping to see that our kingdom would be established and we were hoping to see that it would all be brought back to the place where it needed to be. Like King David when he ruled and, and had the whole country just one place and we were just, just flourishing in abundance and but they responded, it was Jesus of Nazareth, a man. They, they didn't even say the God-man, but a man who, who was a prophet, yet mighty indeed. He was, he, he was speaking for God, as prophet as a spokesman for God, and he was mighty. He did a lot of great things. And he was a prophet, mighty indeed, and in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day. And since these things have happened, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. They gave testimony. This is what happened. They, they murdered him. They, they, they executed him on the cross. Our leaders, the ones that should have known, the ones that should have understood the message of the Old Testament of the Messiah. Yet he turned out just to be a man. But he was a mighty man. He was a great man. He Great, great things that he did. He spoke boldly, even to the face of the Pharisees all the way to his death. And at the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And these men were so downtrodden. And so what Jesus says, you know, and this is amazing. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Right here, right then, after they gave the testimony, Jesus should have just showed them, look, I'm here. Look at my hands. Look at my side. This is me. But instead, what he does is he has a Bible study with them. He goes back to the scriptures and I'm sure if he would have had a Bible, he would have opened it up and he would have started talking to them about what these things meant. And, and then he says back in, in, in chapter, verse 25, and he said to them, Oh, foolish ones. This is a very good word. We're going to see it here in just a bit. Asuneo. Oh, foolish ones and slow to hear, slow to heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ 
should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Wait a minute, we, we just said he was a man. You're saying that the Christ? Yeah, we remember those things. But yet somehow in our distress, and our distraught, in our anguish, in our anger, in our sadness, and in all the things that are going on around the world and going on in our homes and going on in our life, we forget that the Messiah, the Christ, had to endure these things. We forget the power of the resurrection. We forget the glory of the cross. We forget the wondrous cross. This is why we sang that song. That, oh, the wondrous, if I had all of nature, everything to give to God, if it was all mine, it would still not be enough to give to our king. And he says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, from the very beginning, he goes all the way back to the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then through the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see, what Jesus Christ does, he, he gives you the experience through his word. He gives you the experience and he takes you back to the Old Testament. And every once in a while, we have to be reminded. We have to remember. We have to look back. This is why we do what we call the Lord's table, the sacraments, the Lord's uh, supper, communion. This is why we do the Lord's table once a month so that we can look back at the cross, at the cruelty of the cross and what it means and, and what, what it means for us and how we are able to, to receive that glorious salvation because of what Jesus Christ did, the Christ had to suffer and die. Only by the shedding of blood are sins forgiven. And in verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as he were going even further, but they urged him strongly, no, stay, stay with us. For it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread. He blessed it and broke it and gave thanks to them. To, uh, gave, gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him it was at that very moment that their eyes were opened and they saw who Jesus Christ was and he vanished from their sight they said to each other did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened up the scriptures and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. He has risen indeed. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now follow me on this. Here's these guys, downtrodden, needing a desperate experience, something, a touch from God. Jesus Christ, the God-man, God himself, the resurrected Christ, is standing right before them. And he does not allow you to see him until you get into the word to find out what he has done, why he has done it, and for whom he has done it, and the purpose behind what he has done. And he takes them all the way back. And the, the Messiah is talked about. And we know, and the Jewish people know that he's to come and how he's supposed to reign. Jesus Christ fulfilled it all, yet he did not fit their profile. He did not fit their mode. He did not fit the model that they looked for. No, no, the, the guy that we want is, is a king, the one that's going to establish this earthly kingdom. They had no concept of this heavenly kingdom. They had no concept of this eternal kingdom. What they wanted was for me, myself, and I. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Do you know that that's Satan's tool? 
even in the church, he promises you the lust of the eye. What do you want? Ask for it. And God has to give it to you. What, what, what do you, what do you desire? What do you desire? God says he'll give you the desires of your heart. We read that wrong, beloved. Giving us the desires of our heart, God is going to give you the desires that you need to have of your heart. He's going to give you the desires. He's not going to give you your desires. He doesn't give me my desires. God will give you the desires. He will give to you the desires that you need to have for God. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We get so prideful because we're in the right church, we're in the right religion, we're in the right, we have the right words, we have the right understanding. We, and so, you know, I'm better than you and you're better, you know, I'm not, you're not any better than me. And, and so it's that pride of life. And, and Jesus says, no, you got to get back and be humbled. You got to be a servant. You got to be a slave. You got to be a, a, a table waiter. A diakonos is not a ruler of the church, which is what we've elevated the diakonos to, but a diakonos is, uh, Table waiter. You know what? Ken is not here today. Can someone turn that air conditioner on? It's gonna, you guys warm? Or is it just me? I'm getting a little excited. I don't know about you guys. The word of God just excites me. Thank you. Uh, You know, and, and it's, it's, if it's cold, just say so and we'll turn it back. We'll turn it up higher or colder. I don't know. But, but the experience that many people are looking for is found in the word of God. It's found in the Word of God. And that's why we go through the Word of God, you know, bit by bit, slowly but surely, and we're going through it. Let me just show you one last piece, because this is kind of, it's included with this, and it makes the point as well. So they they testify to Jesus Christ, first of all. You know, this is what happened. They give a witness of the things that they saw, and then, you know, they, the, the resurrection of the things that they've heard. They give a witness as to what was supposed to happen and what happened. That is what we call the charismatic core. Paul summed it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that we, ha- we preach Jesus Christ buried, uh, dead, buried, and resurrected. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried and resurrected. That in itself is the core of the gospel. These men, Cleopas and the other man, they were walking toward Emmaus. They, they testified to what happened. Jesus Christ, he, he, he was brutally murdered. He was executed and he was buried. But he, now we know he's resurrected and he's supposed to be the Christ. They run all the way back to Jerusalem. And as they were talking in verse 36, these things, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, man, you guys run fast. You guys got here a lot faster than I did. Man, that was a long run. No, he didn't say that. You see, here's the point. The point is this. That you want Jesus Christ to show up, testify. Share what you've experienced. Share what God is doing in your life. Share what you know about God's word. You have to repeat it. You have to remember it. You have to recognize it. You have to, you're responsible for this message that you have. You yourself are, are, are the carrier of the good news and you carry it to other people. Some of you are inviting some people. You, you've invited some. That's why you're here. Some of you have got invited here. Some of you are still talking to other people. You got to come in and listen to the message. Let's go to church. Let's read the Bible. Let's understand what Jesus Christ has done, what God is doing and what's going to happen. But really, this is what Jesus said. He said, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened. And thought they had saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands. Now he shows them his feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that it is I. You'll experience the Lord Jesus Christ when you get in his word. That was his 
main focus, get in the Word. You'll experience Jesus Christ when you testify, when you talk about what it is that He's done in your life. I share this with you because what Paul has been showing us, going back to Ephesians chapter 3, what Paul has been going over with us is the, is the bride of Christ. We talked about the church uh, last week. And uh, the, from the very beginning, Paul has been talking to us about how God has chosen, how he's elected. He's brought together the people that he is going to constitute his church. Last week, we talked about the universal church, the church worldwide. Some people call it the invisible church. And then we talked about the local church, why it's important to be a part of a local church as well as the universal church. The universal church has always been known or made uh, to be understood as the Catholic church. We talked about how Catholicism was the overarching, and it didn't mean that that was just a religion, but that's what Catholic means, universal. And it was the church that was supposed to bring the message of Jesus Christ to the people all over the place, to everyone. Somehow, somewhere along the line, they, they got it mixed up and they, they kept believing that the only way to salvation is if you go through the priest. The only way to salvation is if you give your indulgences. The only way to salvation is if you do certain things and certain prayers. Along came this man named Martin Luther. He was a monk of the church at that time. He says, look, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches this. He wasn't trying to invent or create or to start another movement. He was trying to reform the church and bring it back to what the gospel message is and how the apostles had taught it. And Luther, I don't know if you know anything about him, but he was an attorney. He was a lawyer and he was like, how is this, how does this even make sense? He understood the Old Testament. He understood the New Testament. And he says, we have to get back to its original intent of what God had wanted. And because the church at that time didn't want to hear this, because, well, it, was, it wasn't going to be profitable. If anybody can go to heaven, you know, if, if any, you know, they have to go through us. If anybody can go to heaven, then, you know, it's, all chaos is going to break loose. And so what they tried to do, and they did, they martyred, they killed one of his friends. They went after Luther, called him a heretic. And so he started to, to start with this, idea that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved. And, and so that is the start of the, uh, in the 16th century of the Protestant movement. Not to protest the church, that wasn't their intent, but their intent was to reform the church. That's why they call them the reformers. But the church is so close to the heart of God. You, beloved, are so close to the heart of God. You are His bride. He's coming back one day to receive his bride. And the bride needs to be spotless and holy and clean by the washing of the blood. We'll see that in Ephesians chapter 5. And, in, and, and so what Paul has been talking about, he says, you know, you used to be far off. You were one time an object of wrath of the sons of disobedience. You had no hope. You had no God. You had no, uh, no covenant. You had no uh, any type of anything. Any ability to, to know God because you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses, but you were made alive in Christ. And now by grace that you're saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God so that no one can boast. And Paul is sharing with them the importance of this group of men and women that come together from every walk of life. A few weeks ago, I talked about how we, we don't need any other word or any other document or any other thing or agenda. All we need is the Word of God to know that we are one. Black, white, Mexican, German, Irish, Japanese, Chinese, Arabs, whatever it might be, we are all one in Christ. The walls have been knocked down. We don't need any government, any social movement of any type telling us how it is that we need to come together. It's already there. Our problem is that we want to do it on our own. 
And, and it's been a tragedy that the church or those within the church, those claiming to be Christians, had done a lot of disservice to the gospel message in slavery and in, in prejudices and, and in all these things. And because we have not yet learned how to live under the gospel message. And it'll continue to be that way until sin is eradicated. We cannot eradicate any of these social problems without eradicating sin. And once sin is gone, then all those other issues are gone. And we may not be able to spread that idea. Well, the idea we can spread it, but we may not be able to spread that whole practical issue of it throughout the whole world. But beloved, we can do it one person at a time. We can all be from different walks of life. Some of us from different generations. Some of us from, you know, different countries. But we can do that all as one, starting right here. And we include other people. We don't exclude them. And see, this is what Paul is trying to get across. He's saying, you know, this is what Jesus Christ did. As a matter of fact, in chapter 3, Paul is about to pray for the people that he's writing to in Ephesus. So with that just short introduction of the importance of the church as to why it's important and, and the, the, the closeness to God's heart, let me lead you in a word of prayer. If you can stand with me, and then I'm going to read the word of God right after we're done. Now, let me read first, and then, and then we'll, uh, well, let me pray. Let's all stand. Father in heaven, I want to thank you once again for giving us this opportunity to come together. We thank you, Lord, for your love, your grace, and your mercy, and, and just a glimpse at uh, what your church is to be. There is a mystery here, Lord. There's a mystery here that we don't see, we don't understand. There's a mystery here that is uh, difficult sometimes for us to see. And when we talk to and read about what Paul is doing and what he has already established, it's hard to see this mystery. So, Father, I pray that today you unveil it to us. It's no longer a mystery. Paul's already taken care of that for us. So we, we pray that you lead us through this portion of Scripture. Help us to see the purpose of the church the purpose of my life in the church. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. You may be seated. Paul goes off to say, chapter 3, verse 1, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and I don't know about in your Bible, but there's this dash right there, right between uh, Gentiles and verse 2. All of a sudden, the structure of the sentence changes. All of a sudden, he goes off in a whole different direction. And and we don't really know what Paul is about to say because he takes off on a different thought. And he says, for for this reason, for what I just talked about, the church, how it is that, uh, that we were separated, we were dead, we were apart from God, without hope, without God, without any citizenship, without any covenant, without any promise. We were at that point. For this reason, Paul says, I... Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And if you want to know what it is that Paul is going to say next, you have to go all the way down to verse 14. Now follow me to verse 14 very quickly. He says again in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So what Paul is about to do here, Paul is saying, you know, for this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, I bow before the Father. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that, and what he goes on to say afterwards is that you get this. That I want you to get this, but so so I want you to understand what it is that I'm about to say to you. However, there's this two through thirteen that we have to deal with, and so what is that? What what about all that stuff? 
How come he doesn't just pray? Why does, why does he keep going on and on and on about what? And some commentators call this a parenthesis. There's this huge parenthesis in between this prayer. Before he starts to pray, he says, okay, let me just go back to what it is that I've already shared with you. Paul goes back and he starts to reiterate. He goes back and he says, look, there's been this mystery, this mystery that has been from the, from the beginning of age, hidden from the prophets, hidden from the, 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 the patriarchs, hidden from the fathers that has now been revealed to us. Now, before you un- we go any further, you have to understand that a mystery is not something mystical, you know, something of a mystery, mystery type of a, a novel, that who done it type of thing. But a mystery is something revealed. A mystery is something that is that has not been known, but is now known. And it's somewhat, somewhat of a, a, a definition of our own definition of mystery today. But it, it is something that now has been made known, and you get to know it, and you, beloved, are part of that mystery. But let's go back to verse 1 so we can continue going through this. For this reason, number one, in your outlines, I need to remember who I am. I need to remember who I am. Paul says, I, Paul, a prisoner. Now, I don't know if you remember when we started in the book of Ephesians, I had mentioned to you that Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. He was in prison for this one. I believe Colossians and Philippians. And I can't remember. There's another one that he's also in prison when he wrote these. He, He has been in prison now for five years. Five years locked up, he's under house arrest, he's chained to a guard, he can't uh, go, come and go as he, as he please, but, but yet he's in a home, he's in a, in a cell of sorts, and he's been in prison for you Gentiles, he says, uh, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And, and what Paul is referring to, we have to go all the way back to Acts, Acts chapter 21. You might want to write that down. You might want to read a little bit about what Paul had experienced as to why he was in prison. But when Paul was called, uh, in Acts chapter 9, uh, Ananias was told to go see Paul, this, this man that was on his way to Damascus. He's from Tarsus. Ananias tells Jesus Christ, he says, I know this man. I've heard of him. He wants to kill us. He wants to imprison us. As a matter of fact, I understand that he's on his way now with letters to take us back to Jerusalem, take all our, all our belongings because he is up against the way. And he was called Saul at that time. But Jesus Christ tells him, look, he's had an experience. He's had a spiritual experience. He's connected with me and I've seen him and I've knocked him down and he's blinded. You've got to go and baptize him because he will be a minister to the Gentiles. Now, the, the racial inequality of the Jews and everybody else, Gentiles is basically another word for everybody else. It was the Jewish nation and Greek and everyone else, Ethiopian, Egyptian, whatever the case may be, it was Jews and everyone else was considered to be a Gentiles. And Gentiles, most Jewish people believed, were created just to stoke the flames of hell. We need to keep the fires burning, so God created all these Gentiles just to throw them into the fire, because us Jews, we're going to be okay. They were the people of promise. And God was leaving hints throughout the Old Testament. He would tell them things like, you know, you're going to be a huge nation and you're going to bless many nations. Well, they understood that. As a matter of fact, in Joel, he says, you know, your, your sons will, will see visions and your daughters will have dreams and, and that my spirit will be poured out on all flesh, not just the Jewish nation. And so they had these hints that this church was in the making. They didn't understand exactly what it meant. To be a Jew 
if you weren't Jew, you can be a proselyte. In other words, you had to go through the customs of the Jewish nation. If you were a man, you had to be circumcised. If you were a woman, there's certain uh, characteristics you had to do, things that you had to obey, the laws, the customs, and all those things. All those things had to be done in order for you to be a Jew. Once you became a Jew, okay, now you're part of this Jewish nation. But you're still a Gentile, and they would refer to them as Gentiles. But they were part of the Jewish nation, and they can come in and they can worship, but not with the Jewish people. So they were proselytes, and they would come in, and they would understand that, yes, we accept these guys if they follow our laws. Now, what Paul started to do, and we read this in Corinthians, excuse me, we read this in Galatians right before we got into Ephesians. What Paul started to do was just kind of break down all those barriers. As a matter of fact, last week we talked about the barrier, the dividing wall that was around the temple. Jesus Christ has knocked it all down and brought everybody in. And what he started to do is say, look, you don't have to follow the dietary laws. You don't have to follow Moses' laws. And you don't have to get circumcised if you're not a Jew. You don't have to do those things. And it was for those things that the Jewish people, we'd call them, we were calling them the, uh, the Judaizers. These Judaizers says, yeah, you can believe in Jesus Christ. And they were supposedly saved. You can believe in Jesus Christ, but you have to do certain things. You have to be circumcised. And you have to follow the traditions. And so that was the thing that Paul was fighting against. No, they're not Jewish people. You can't make them Jew. They are part of this nation. They are all one in Galatians. They are all one in 1 Corinthians. They are all one. We are all one. We, we have all the same things. And it was for that. It was for that. They, they arrested him. He goes to Jerusalem, takes this offering. He says, you know, maybe if I collected an offering from all the little cities, the, the Gentile nations, and, and I would bring it to the Jewish people in Jerusalem, bring it to the Jewish temple, the church that is growing here, that has become Christian now. And, and if I would bring it, maybe that would help. And it's interesting because the Macedonians and everybody else, they, they, they just wanted to give. Let us know how we can give out of our poorness. We will give whatever we can. And they gave abundantly, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but they gave with a cheerful heart. And they said, yes, Paul, we thank God that we are now included in this Jewish nation. And we thank God for that. He brings the offering down. They give it to James. And James was the brother of Jesus, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. They give it to James and James disperses and says, thank you. We praise God for that. However, Paul, you got to understand there's some Jews here that really don't like you. <laughs> they don't like what you're preaching and teaching, saying that we're all one, we're all one. And we're bringing in Jews, and Jews are becoming Christians, and we're trying to disciple them to understand that message that you have, that you've been preaching. We preach to the Jews, you preach to the Gentiles. And, and we're trying to get this group together. They hated each other. The Jews despised the Gentiles. The Gentiles hated the Jews. It was just this animosity that you just cannot... You cannot bring together. It was a supernatural act by Jesus Christ himself that brought this group together. Gentiles started to understand that. Some Jews started to understand that. He went and he says, you know, I'm going to try to prove my Jewishness. I'm going to go through this seven-day vow. And he takes this vow upon himself. He goes into the temple, shaves his head, and does other things. I'm not really too sure what he did. might have been like a Nazarite vow. He goes into the temple, and he does all these Jewish things. When he comes back out, the Judaizers that were following him, everywhere he went, they pointed to him. Look, there he is, this man. This man has been turning the world upside down, telling people that this place doesn't matter. Moses doesn't matter. And, and, and he wasn't saying that. He just was saying, you don't have to follow those traditions. It's not a matter of the traditions. It's a matter of a condition of your new heart. 
If you're a new creation in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. That's it. As a matter of fact, they had four special rules that the Jewish people also had to abide by. But apart from all the other things the Jewish people have to abide by, there were four things that Gentiles needed. And number one, uh, refrain from sexual immorality. Number two, don't, don't drink the blood of animals. Number three, don't eat the blood or meat that, that has been strangled. And, and number four, you know what, I can't remember what the number four is. But, you know, it was very basic. Oh, uh, don't eat food sacrificed to idols. And so it was very basic things. Okay, just don't do those four things. I mean, it's just common all the way around. You don't want to, you know, not committing sexual immorality. That's just one of the things you don't do. Uh, and if you're a Christian, you're a new believer. And so they brought these people in, and, and everybody hated the fact that Paul was doing this. But it's interesting what Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, I'm doing this. I'm in prison. I'm here. Because when he came out of that vow that he was doing, they pointed to him, and they said, Look, he even brought this Greek in there. This, this Greek person, this Gentile, Trophimus was his name. He, he brought him into the temple. He brought him into the church. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about the dividing wall, and there was a sign out there that if any Gentile would cross that wall, his blood was on his head. He was to be killed right there and then. And Paul wouldn't do that. If he would have, somebody would have noticed it. They would have grabbed that man and killed him right there and then. When Paul came out seven days later, they accuse him of what he had done. They arrest him, and he's arrested now for five years, and he's in prison, and he's telling us, I'm doing this for you. However, look at this. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner, not of Rome, a prisoner, not of the state, a prisoner, not of the Jewish people, but a prisoner of Christ Jesus. You see, beloved, it's all a matter of perspective. The things that you go through in life, it's all a matter of perspective. The things that happen in your life, we can sit there and we can cry about all the things that are happening, but, but you know, you, you've made a lot of mistakes. And there's a lot of things coming up in the future. And people sit there and they worry and they worry about yesterday. Man, you know, I just wish, wish I wouldn't have done that. Wish I wouldn't have said that. We, we worry about the things that we cannot change. Yesterday is gone. And then we look at tomorrow and, you know, what am I going to do about my bills, about my family, about what am I going to do about tomorrow? And we worry about tomorrow of things that we cannot control. And today, we worry about the things we cannot change. We worry about the things that we cannot control. And all that does is mess up today. And tomorrow morning, I wake up and I'm worried about, man, I shouldn't have worried about the stuff I worried about yesterday. It got taken care of, but what about tomorrow? And it's this cycle that is produced in people's lives. There are things that you cannot change. There are things that you cannot control. If you can control it, control it. Make it different. Change your lifestyle. Change the things that you eat or drink or, or change the way you behave in relationships or change the way you, you behave in your job. And, and you know, what Paul has given us here, he's given us three chapters of doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. This is the doctrine of the church, how we should be. And then the next three chapters is how we should behave, who you are and how you should behave. We're going to talk about husbands and wives. We're going to talk about children. We're going to talk about workers. We're going to talk about, about uh, owners that, that have employees. We're going to talk about how it is that we should comport ourselves now that we are in the church. And we're going to talk about this for the next three chapters after we get past chapter three. But, but Paul says, you know, I, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. However, he has to go right back over and say, I want you to get the fact that you are a church. I want you, I want you to get the fact that you belong to one another. You are one body in Christ. You are one. You're not individuals anymore. You are all together. T- 
together now. And, and so what Paul is saying, I, I, I need, I need you to understand this and, and recognize that, that you are now part of this body. And so he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he says, you know what? I can be a prisoner of Rome. I can sit here and say, oh my God, what am I going to do now? But he tells the people in Colossians, he says, you know, this is great. I'm in here. Man, I'm even a minister. He started the first jail ministry. The people of, of Caesar's household was getting saved. And people were coming. Roman soldiers were getting saved. And people were just coming and getting blessed and saved. And Paul says, man, this is, they're coming to me. <laughs> I don't have to go out into all these places anymore. They are hearing the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, because they are included as well. And I don't know if you know this or not, but after five or six years, eventually, tradition has it, we don't have it in scripture, but tradition has it that he was beheaded, he was killed. We don't hear about Paul anymore after this. He was in prison for five years and that's it, we don't hear anymore from anyone or anybody else. It's not even stated, but the historians and traditionists tells us that he was killed. You know, so you know what, we've had this guy for so long, you know, we gotta do something, we gotta let him go or just get rid of him. Just get rid of him, all right, it's no big deal. It's just another Jew, is what the Romans thought. Good riddance, now, you know, now we got room for somebody else. And that was Paul's drive. That was Paul's passion. You know, and he was the one that spearheaded this agency to eradicate people of the way, Christians, to get rid of them. But he brought the two together because God had started this from the very beginning. From the very beginning, God was dropping hints. We'll get into that. Number two, I need to repeat what I have learned. Because Paul goes on to say, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Assuming that you have heard of the citizenship of God's grace that was given to me for you, Paul is starting this parenthesis and saying... <coughs> Excuse me. That one went down a little bit wrong. <clears throat> Paul is therefore saying, <clears throat> I am sure you have already, you know this. I've already told you this. You understand what I've already talked about. You have knowledge of this stewardship of grace, of God's grace that was given to me. And it's the stewardship, the responsibility of taking care of that which belongs not to me, but it belongs to somebody else. And at this point, this stewardship of grace, the grace that God has given me, I am a manager. I am to manage this and because it's not mine, it's God's. And I've got to manage it and work it well because I am his manager. I am his bookkeeper. I am his harvester. I, I, I store it. I, you know, that's what a manager does. He prepared for the master. He stored. He looked over the other servants. He looked over the payroll. He looked over everything. He managed everything. And Paul says, that's what I am. First of all, he says, I'm a slave. Not of the Roman government, not of the country, the, any, any other government agency. I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Number two, I'm a manager. I am, I am one that manages. I, 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 man, I manage God's grace. And it was given to me for you, again, he says. Paul didn't choose this apostleship. He didn't choose this himself. He wasn't out looking to be an apostle for Jesus Christ. Some of you are thinking, you know, I'm not looking to be anything. I just want to come to church and, and just get fed. And I just want to know. And, and hopefully, no, you are given a task. You are given a task to fulfill in this church. How else are we going to get the task and the word out? 
Some of you are doing your part by inviting people. Some of you are doing your part. But, you know, beloved, and I say this with all sincerity and humility, and I know it's, it's probably going to hurt a little, but coming to church and sitting here is not ministry. Just sitting in church is not ministry. You're not administering, or you're not managing, or you're not doing anything for the body. But some of you are thinking, well, I'm not hurting the body. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want disunity, of course. Yeah, but you're not doing anything for the unity. You may not be talking against the church or, you know, going up against the church, but what, what are we doing for the church? How do we work out this grace that God has given us? How do we do that? Paul says in First Peter, actually Peter says in First Peter 4.10, and this is in your outlines, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God's grace is varied. It's multifaceted. God's grace is just touching every area. You have a gift. If you have been regenerated, if you're born again, if you're a genuine Christian, God has given you a gift. And you might be thinking, but nobody can, I, I can't do anything. Last week, I talked about the ministry that we have for birthday cards. And, you know, that's kind of fallen by the wayside. It's kind of hard to keep that going. And somebody came to me last week, uh, you know, and, and uh, they used to say, well, I can do that. That's a very important ministry. Some of you had birthdays here a few weeks ago, a few months ago, and you may not have received a birthday card, and I apologize. But I, used, I, I would send out one every year. I've done it for the last 20 years. People have said and called, hey, where's my birthday card? <laughs> They're expecting it. You know, and I haven't done so because of, well, a lot of different reasons. I mean, it's just, we need somebody to do that. And so somebody has that gift to be able to call somebody and, and encourage them. You know, we missed you. It was kind of lonely there and it was a good word. And, and, you know, God just really visited us through his word and, and share a little bit about what you learned and, and talk to them and encourage them to come back. Paul's stewardship was unique. Even for an apostle, his, his stewardship and his job was to reveal this mystery. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, Paul says. It was made known to me, and I have written briefly about it. He's, he's already talked to him about what it is that, it, that, it was a, that God gave them about this mystery. In verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. That mystery, as we keep saying, is that the church is one, made up of everyone. God-fearers believed it was just for them. The Jewish people said, it's just for us. We'll bring people in, but they have to go through our hoops. Paul says, no, we're all together. We're one. And we need to be one. We need to be one church, universally and locally. And locally together, we become one church. And he was instrumental in revealing many mysteries to the church. But the primary particular mystery that is in view here is the one he has already mentioned in general and is about to state specifically, namely, that Christ, in Christ, Jew and Gentile have become one. And we'll see this here in just a little bit. And they've all become one. As a matter of fact, um, when Paul you know, his zeal for this, his desire for this, his, his willingness to go to the cross for it, his, his willingness to die for it, to go to prison for it. He says, you know, I, I can renounce all of this anytime I want. I can say, you know what? I, I want to go back to be a Jew. I want to practice the laws and, and, and just let me out of prison. But Paul says, no, this is what I've been called for. This is what you've been called for. Number three, I need to realize the mystery involves me. And what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to kind of go through this part Go back again with it next week. But I, I want to end with this part. I need to realize that the mystery involves me, which was not made known to the sons of man in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles 
and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says that they're all one. They're all one. In other generations, this mystery was not made known to people that from before. Before the church, no person, not even the greatest people, the, the greatest prophets, had any glimpse as to the truth that what Paul is talking about. They knew something was coming. They knew that they were supposed to bless the other nations. But to make them one with us, to receive the same inheritance that we have, to receive the same promise, the citizenship that we have, uh, you know, it just doesn't, that doesn't connect. But Paul made a very strong argument, and and Jesus Christ himself gave him that commission, and he says, you know what, this is what you need to tell them, and remind them, remind them. If you look at Galatians chapter 3, which is one of the verses that I like to go to when I'm talking about the gospel in the Old Testament, it says here, and the scripture, okay, he's talking about the Old Testament, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the what? The gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. God was already preaching the gospel to Abraham before there was even a Jewish nation. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. No children, only man. God blessed him with a child, and that child had had, uh, two more kids, and and they grew, and they developed into the nation that we know as the Jewish nation now. And we also know about Ishmael as well. But he said, You will be a nation. And whoever blesses you, I will bless. And in you shall all the nations be blessed. No one knew the full meaning of Isaiah's prediction when Isaiah said, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Not just the Jewish nation, but to the nations. The Old Testament saints had no vision of the church assembling together and being saved and united in one body. And that is why Paul was so concerned in this letter to the Ephesians to state and restate, to explain and re-explain, and to go over and over and over again the great truth that this is one church. And it was so important that God had dropped the hints at the very beginning, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for it, that Paul even went to prison and died for it. It is so important to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's so important that Paul and all the other apostles died for it, It should be important for us as well that we are a church that includes everyone, that brings all people together, as it has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And and this is is what he, he revealed to them, that together, all of them, that this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is what they were to do. This is how they were supposed to bring them in. Gentiles are fellow heirs. And it's difficult for Jewish people to understand that. And, and, and if you can understand the tension, the ugliness between these two races, Jews and Gentiles, it, it, you, you have to understand the situation in life. And I'm trying to paint an ugly a picture as possible to help you to see that. The Gentiles are now members of the same body. They are equally Blessed, just like outsiders, bringing in the outsiders, bringing them in. They're joint heirs who have the same benefits. They're members of the same body, linked by a common life. For just as one body is 
uh, as, as a body is one and many members and all the members of the body, though many are one in body. So it is with Christ for in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free. All were made to drink of the one spirit. You're one, you're one, you're one. The Jews hated that. You're one. He kept preaching it. We are one. They're, they're one in the same body. They're all the same members. They're fellow members and they're partakers of the promise of God in Christ Jesus. They're going to get blessed just like the Jewish nation. And at that point, they said, we can't stand this. As a matter of fact, right when they arrested Paul because of his message, because of what he was preaching, the people, Luke tells us in the book of Acts that the, the Pharisees, they ripped their clothes and they grabbed the dust and threw it in the air. And it was like, they were like animals, you know, like a, a, a mad bull doing this, you know, and it, it was a, a chaotic scene because they, well, you can't have that. Paul says, that's what Jesus Christ died for. That's why he was nailed to a cross. That's why the gospel message is so important for us. And, and, and it was so important for Paul, and he's going to reiterate before he even prays for them what it is that he spoke to them about, what it was that he shared in chapter 2, what it was that he shared in chapter 1 about being apart from God, dead to Christ, and dead to God, and now we're made alive in Him. But God, remember that. And then in chapter 2, how we were separated, how, and now He's brought us together. And once we get through with this doctrine of the church, the riches of God's grace, we go into chapter 4, and let's, let's apply this. You cannot apply what you don't know. This is Paul's favorite teaching model. It's a principle that he taught. It's a principle that I try to emulate. You, you cannot know. You cannot do what you don't know. And I've been told, you know, I've, <laughs> I was told before, you know, I, I don't have to go to church next Sunday. And I says, well, why? This lady tells me. She says, because I already know what you're going to preach. You're going to say the same thing you said last Sunday, and I already know where you're at in the book of Corinthians, and so I know what you're going to go next. I know where you're going next. So I don't have to come to church. I, I just stay home and read it. This is before we went live on Facebook. I said, okay, well, you tell me. What am I going to preach about? We repeat it. We go over it. We review it. I want you to get this. This is important. In, in Spanish, it's the word suma importante. I mean, it is just so important. It is so profoundly deep and important. And I want you to know something, which I'll touch on next week. The church, though it is that we reach people and people get saved, that's not the purpose of the church. That's part of the function. That's part of the, the means of what we do. But the purpose of the church is to, and Paul tells us here in just a little bit, is so that the manifold wisdom of God his unsearchable riches and this manifold wisdom of God may be shown, uh, may now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The purpose of the church is for God's wisdom to be known in the heavens. And as it all unfolds, this is why it's important for us to be a church, to be a, 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 a holy church, a set-apart church, a, a, a good church. This is why it's important for you to know these things. Because unless you know these things, you're not going to do these things. This is why it, it, it tears the heart of God to see His church tear each other apart and, and not like each other and hate each other and talk about each other and gossip. These are, why, these are some of the things that Jesus Christ touched on. One of the first things that Jesus said about the church was that, well, first of all, on this church, on this rock, I will build my church. Then He gives us principles on how to keep the church in discipline. 
You know, you go to your brother if he sins. Take somebody with you. Bring it to the church. His first understanding of the church. We, he, he wants his holy church to be blameless. Blameless. Spotless. When he returns, he expects a spotless church. Not a huge church. A huge church would be nice. But he wants a pure church. And if it means just a few of us are, are, are striving to be that, we are not perfect by any ways, means. We're not perfect. But see, we don't sin less. We're not sinless, I should say. What we do is we try to sin less. When you sin, and we all do, it should hurt you. It should make you sick to the pit of your stomach. You should repent from it. You should say, you know, God, I, that, that is just, I'm sorry. And I got to keep away from those people. I got to keep away from that thought process. I got to keep away from whatever it is because sin just pollutes your mind. You know, and there's some people that say they're believers and they like their sin. They can care less. Yeah, it's no big deal. God understands my heart. It's no big deal. But sin separates you from your part of the fellowship of God. The church, and, and I'll, I'm going to share with you next week the responsibility of, that we have to share the gospel. But when we, we come to understand what Paul is doing here, he's repeating himself. And so right before he prays, he's going to share with them why it's important for this reason. He says, I bow my knees from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the heights, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within you, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let me ask you to stand. I thought I would get through this today, you know, but if it's important for God for us to know a little bit more, and it was important for Paul to go over it again, I think it's important for us to understand a little bit more. Some of you may not have been here last week, so I wanted to go over a little bit of the things that we talked, we touched on last week. But also you can get the information off um, our podcast. But this, this concept of the church, of the holiness of the church, the purity of the church, the, what Jesus Christ died on the cross for, what Paul endured for us, you Gentiles, that includes us. Well, I don't know if any of you are Jewish, but for you Gentiles. And, and it's an important doctrine to understand. Because once I understand it, now I can live it. And Paul will share with us in the next few chapters on how to do that. Father in heaven, thank you again for this portion of Scripture. Help, help us to understand the, the full significance of Paul being a prisoner. And how it is that we too are not prisoners of this state. We're not... Uh, under control of any government or any uh, president or any congressman. But we are under you, and we need to be prisoners to you, Lord Jesus, because it is for you that we, we live and we move and we breathe. It is for you that we share the gospel, not for us, not to build a huge church, but to be able to, to glorify you and bring, and bring the manifold wisdom of God around so that others can see. 
So Father, once again, I pray that you lead us uh, in all things today. Help us understand the importance of the church to live lives that will reflect the values of this church and to glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dismiss us now from this place, but never from your presence, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen and Amen. All right. I'll be up here for a moment if you'd like to come up for a word of prayer. Thank you.